Hi, I'm Pastor Brad Inman, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. This morning, our scripture lesson comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. I invite you to turn with me in your own Bible or in the Bible found there in the pews around you. Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 27, sorry, 27 through 38. Hear now these words. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. If anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that for you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, we do give thanks for your holy word, and we come into this place today anticipating that we would feel your presence and that we would hear from you. And so now as we have heard your word read and as it is now to be proclaimed, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would transform the words that proceed from my mouth, and as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts, may they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Several years ago, I was an associate pastor at a church just like Pastor Corey serves here at Orange And in that particular congregation, as I was a part of many different people on staff, on Fridays, almost everybody had that as their Sabbath day. 
They would take that day as their day off, except for me and our administrative assistant. The two of us would be there at the church on Fridays for anything that would come about and anything that would come up. And it just so happened that this was a downtown church, and right next door was the courthouse and the jail. And so it was not uncommon for someone to get out of jail and walk across the street and immediately seek to receive some type of assistance from the church. And so someone almost always had to be present to try to be able to offer whatever assistance we could and whatever guidance could be offered. And on one particular Friday, I had gone home for lunch. We lived just a few blocks away from that church. And I received a call at home from the administrative assistant who said, whatever you do, do not come back to church after lunch. And I thought, well, that's great. The day off. But it wasn't that. She said, do not come back. There is a man outside the church that is banging on the doors, trying to get in, and he is shouting, I'm going to kill Adam's seat. Well, since that's me, I took her words into consideration. I said, well, first of all, call the police. Call the police. They're just down the street. They'll be over almost in no time. But I said, I'm coming back because I'm not going to let this take place and, and you'd be there just by yourself. And so I got in my car and I drove back to the church and I parked and I saw an individual that was pacing around in the courtyard and I didn't know this individual. So I was curious, why does he want to kill me? What did I do? And so I walked up and I asked, can I help you? And he said, I'm looking for Adam's seat. And I said, well, you found him. What can I do for you, sir? And in the end, we began to discuss. He began to let me know what he was so angry with me about. It turned out that there had been a domestic situation that I had had to intervene in. And he, even though I had not met him, I knew others within that situation. And he was very upset that somebody had gotten into his business. And so as it ended up, we were able to talk outside at first. And ultimately, I invited him in. And we were able to continue our conversation in the sanctuary and talking about the circumstances of this. It even got to the point that when the police did arrive, we were able to send them away. It was one of these things that, it, it's funny, that I, that day I just knew I needed to be present in that moment. I needed to go, and, and yes, there was some fear uh, as I, I got out of the car, and I looked at him, but I got to admit, I was 20 years younger, so there was a part of me that was looking at him, and I was thinking, I can take him. I got this. But I was looking to see, did I see a weapon? I was trying to, to take a look around to see, was there anybody else that might get involved? But it hurt to think, why would somebody even say something like they would want to kill me? Why would he say that he hated me? And then I think about the words of Jesus that we've just read from today. And you know how Jesus says to love our enemies? Well, sometimes there are people that are just make it a little more difficult to love than others. Amen? There are some people that we have in our lives that we have encountered that we have to begin to think, Jesus, you're taking things a little bit too far with this love. You mean, I've got to love even that person? I saw a cartoon one time that showed Jesus giving this exact sermon, this message, and it has Jesus saying those words that 
they are to love their enemies and to do good to those who hate you. And someone in the crowd turns to the person beside them and says, certainly he doesn't mean the Romans. And the person next to him said, I hope not. We can relate to that kind of thing. When we hear Jesus say that we are to love our, even our enemies and to do good to those who hate us, we may be thinking to ourselves, well, Certainly he doesn't mean fans of, well, you fill in the blank. Or certainly he doesn't mean people that voted this particular way. Or certainly he doesn't mean people that live in that part of the world. Fill it in with whatever group that you want. We all have certain people that are in that group that we find it a little more difficult to love for whatever reason. Maybe it's the actions they've done to us or the actions they've done to others. But Jesus is calling on us to love them. And we may say, you know, I love everybody. I don't hate anyone. But when we say we love them, what does that mean? Is it just a feeling that we feel? Is it just something that we think and we try to think good things? As we just experienced Valentine's Day this week and we were reminded once again of the love that maybe we share with someone else. I was reminded of a quote that I read once from Vody Bauchum that said, Love is an act of will accompanied by emotion that leads to action on behalf of its object. This definition of love, I'm going to read it one more time. Love is an act of the will accompanied by emotion that leads to action on behalf of its object. So that love is not just something that we think. Love is not just some ooey-gooey feeling that we have. Love is a conscious decision that leads to an action that benefits the one that we say that we love. That's a, that's a sticky situation when Jesus calls on us to love, especially if it, 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 wait a minute, Jesus, you're asking me to make a decision to love those that hate me? You're asking me to love those that strike me? You're asking me to love those that hate me and want to do ill will to me, but I'm supposed to love them and do good for them? That's kind of controversial that Jesus would even say something like this if you think about it. When he says, but I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Sometimes it just feels like Jesus is taking things a little too far. Can we understand what he's saying when he begins to go against, contradicting the Old Testament laws of retribution? You know those laws. We love these laws. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's one of the ones we love to quote in our world and society today. And Jesus even says, but when someone strikes you, and we're expecting Jesus to say, strike them back because they deserve it. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, when someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. Offer the other cheek to be struck again. You can almost visualize that as Jesus is saying this, I imagine, uh, Pastor Corey has talked about how sometimes she talks with her hands. I think we all do. But I can almost picture Jesus saying, when someone strikes you, turn the other cheek so that they might strike you again. I mean, this physical image of being struck and, and not struck in such a way that it's going to be a beat down, but a humiliating act. 
And you're to offer yourself up to be the recipient once again of another humiliating act. This, this is hard. This is hard words. I mean, are you kidding me, Jesus? You, you really expect us to live by this. Now, we say this, but does he really expect us to try to live in such a gracious and merciful kind of way? That's hard for us to accept. Back in 1978, there was an author named Michael H. Hart who wrote a book. It was called The 100, subtitled Ranking of the Most Influential Persons in History. And so in this book, it was published in 78, reprinted back in 92, but I think that these words are still applicable to us today. And in this, as he begins to line out the most influential people in all of history, number one is not who you think right now. Number one is not who you think. The number one most influential person in all of history, he said, was Muhammad. He said it was Muhammad based on the large number of followers. Now, those number of followers have even increased since he first wrote that, that book. And so, number two, number two, once again, though, it's not who you're thinking it's going to be. Number two, he said, was Isaac Newton. Imagine the gravity of that. Isaac Newton, of all people, he said, based on the idea that Newton's discoveries form the basis of all modern science and technology. And so the number one most influential person in all of history, Muhammad. Number two, most influential person in all of history, Isaac Newton. Number three, now we're at where you think we would be at least, Jesus he said that Jesus was the most in, third most influential person in all of history, and here's why. He, he says this. He says, I'd have no trouble placing Jesus as number one, especially because the uniqueness of Jesus' teachings about loving your enemies. But he doesn't put Jesus as number one. Here's what he says. The truth is, those teachings are not widely followed. In fact... They're not even generally accepted. Most Christians consider the injunction to love your enemy as at most an ideal which might be realized in some perfect world, but one which is not reasonable to, a reasonable guide to conduct in the actual world we live in. That hurts. That hurts that this author would look at all these influential people of all of history and we, as people who call ourselves Christians, little Christ, representatives in the world, and he's saying that one of the most unique things about Jesus' teachings, about loving your enemies, that he implores us to love our enemies, and yet we don't even take it as a realistic expectation. But unfortunately, his writing gets even worse. He says this, and I quote, We do not normally practice it. Do not expect others to practice it. And do not teach our children to practice it. Jesus' most distinctive teaching, therefore, remains an intriguing but basically untried suggestion. Friends, that convicts me. That convicts me, those words that Jesus is teaching, imploring us to be able to bring redemption into the world, is one that we do not live into. We may think it, 
We may try to feel it, but it's not a conscious action that we choose to take and for the benefit of others. And it's, it's because it's so hard. Each time we have experienced these things that Jesus cites, it hurts. It creates a fracture within our spirits, within our souls. When we find out that somebody doesn't like us, that somebody hates us even, that hurts. I mean, how many times have you heard, well, so-and-so doesn't really care for you? And you think to yourself, what's not there not to like about me? We may think that we can't understand how somebody might not like us. Or maybe we can't even understand how somebody might get to the point of hating us. And when we feel that, we begin to be torn apart. We tear ourselves down from within. We begin to see all of our own flaws and all of those reasons. We begin to concoct within our head about why somebody might hate us. Our lives are shattered by our enemies by those that hate us. We are broken by those who cause us harm and those who take from us. I think about how if you've ever had something stolen from you, you know how much that hurts, how betrayed you feel, whether you knew the person that did it or not. I think just a few years ago, someone broke into my father's storage room outside of, uh, out by his carport, and they stole his lawnmower, they stole his weed eater and the, his blower and all these things that they stole, and man, it made me so angry. I wanted to get my hands and still want to get my hands on whoever did that. What I would do with them once I got my hands on them, I don't know. I'd probably pray for them. That's much more in line with who I am, but I think... It makes me so angry. And it's something that happened to somebody that I love. And it creates this hurt. It's this fracture within. Jesus tells us to love our enemies. But that seems impossible. That seems impossible because of the hurt that we have received. And while God made us in God's own image, I don't think God installed within us that forgive and forget part when God made us. God may have that ability to forgive and to wash it clean, but we do not seem to have that ability. We may try. We may offer forgiveness to someone that has caused harm to us, but so many times we still remember it. We can't forget it. We want to, but we still hold on. And so how can we redeem that relationship? How can it be restored when it's been broken? How can the hurts that we have endured be claimed and redeemed by God? There is a Japanese art form called kintsugi. Some of you may be familiar with this Japanese art of repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of breakage with a lacquer that is dusted or mixed in with powdered gold, silver, or platinum. I think we've got a couple images, if you can see on the screen, of some of this kintsugi. Here first you see this bowl, this cup, that has been broken into many different pieces. And you could use a clear lacquer so that it would hold it all together. However, by mixing in the gold, it is to highlight the fractures that were there. To highlight how it was once broken, but has then been made whole. 
We have a plate uh, on the next image that shows, once again, those fractures. And you see those lines of gold mixed in with that lacquer, how it's been brought together. And in this practice of this Japanese art form, kintsugi, it is a philosophy that it treats breakage and repair as part of the history of the object rather than something to disguise. For us... That philosophy of understanding our brokenness can be made whole. It's the gold is the gold of heaven. The gold that brings it together and is able to make us whole once again is the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And there are things that we are incapable of doing. But to find that repair within our lives of all the ways that we have been hurt, all the ways that we have been broken, all the ways that we have been torn apart, is to bring it to Jesus. And through Jesus' love, his care, his grace, and mercy, we can be nurtured into wholeness once again. And we can claim how we have been redeemed. Now, friends, I don't want it to be just something that we say and don't give you the opportunity to be able to act upon it. And so I want to let you know how are some of the ways that we might be able to live into this, offering that love to our enemies, those people that have hated us, those people that have hurt us, those people have stolen from us. How can we love them? Well, first of all, I'm going to give you three steps. Number one, in our head, in our minds, we need to name those. We need to name those enemies who are our enemies. Who are the ones that have hurt? Who are the ones that have caused that harm within our lives, taken from us, hated us such that it tears us and breaks us down? Name that person within our head and in our minds. The second step is as we are a covenantal community, as we are people of the body of Christ, holding one another in account and uplifting one another, we're to find someone within that covenanted relationship that we might be able to share that name of that person. That person that God is calling us to love and we don't want to love. We're to share that name. So many times, just by naming it, it loses its power over us. And so finding somebody in a confidential situation, whether it's Pastor Corey or myself or anyone, uh, Pastor Brad... Or someone, maybe even your spouse, that we uplift. Maybe it's somebody from your Sunday school, your Bible study, your small group. Somebody that you have confidence that you can go to them and say, this is my enemy. I'm going to name it. And within the body of Christ, by naming it, we begin to allow, to take away the power of that hurt and that fracture. And then the third step, after we've identified it within our minds and within ourselves. And we've shared it with someone within our covenantal community. We then would begin to pray. Pray for that name. As Jesus said, bless those who curse you. We pray prayers of blessing, lifting those names up. And there's no way we can't go to the throne of Jesus Christ and not be transformed when we take that name to him. Friends, there's so much hurt. We have been fractured. We have been torn apart. And Jesus wants to bring us all together and make us whole once again. So today, let's be redeemed. Let's redeem that brokenness that we have experienced. Let's, let's identify it. Say it's real. It's there. We don't have to hide it. We don't have to cover it up. Let's embolden it so that we can let the world see and know that our God is a God of restoration. Our God is a God of hope. Our God is a God that redeems all of our hurts. Today, may you Find that redemption in Jesus.
Let us pray. Lord, we live in this world in this day and time when we are filled with a world of hurt. There's so much hatred. There is so much division. And as your followers, you're calling us to be one. You're calling us to find the ways to show our love, to make that conscious choice and to act upon it, to love even our enemies, even those that have hurt us, even those that have caused harm. God, there are things that are beyond our own capability, but we know that through you, nothing is impossible. So those names that have come to our mind and in our heart today, Lord, may we find the confidence to share in confidence that name with someone that we trust. And may we be able to take that name to your throne and be transformed. May that gold bond us. May you be that spirit that makes us whole and that you would be glorified through it all. We surrender all this to you today in the name of our Lord Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.